Well, we're going to continue our series in Advent that we're calling the Outcasts of Advent, and we're focusing on the Magi today. So if you want to turn to the main Bible text, it's going to be in that first book of the New Testament, which is the Good News According to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to cover the first 12 verses today. And you know, we, we see the Magi over there. Um, we could put them towards the east, but that gets awkward as far as the entry. So they're over there, and they're making their way to uh, baby Jesus, who's over on the piano. Um, but uh, we, we, we sing that they're kings, and they're coming to the great king. They're, we'll talk about this, but they're, they're, there's probably way more than three, and they weren't kings. They were magi or wise men, but they were coming to uh, the king. And so I was thinking about how do you how do you show, we don't leave, live in a place where there's royalty, but you know, how, how do you show a king that they're worthy? How do you show a king his worthiness? And one reflection upon a king's worthiness can be seen in the admiration of the followers of that king, right? What kind of uh, level of admiration do the king's followers have? How much do the subjects love their king, Right? Do they really love their king and just voluntarily bow down? Are they, are they willing to risk their life for the king? Do, do they have this admiration freely or forced? Are they, uh, are they feel like, I have to bow down to the king because he might do something to me or my family, right? Do they fall or kneel out of utter respect and devotion or out of something uh, more worldly? Are they, are they willing to offer treasure to their king, to support their king's mission, their king's rule in the king's land. Well, today we're going to see that the, the magi who came from another land, these, these non-Jewish, uh, wealthy, wise men traveling from a distant land, probably many of them, they, they often hung out in groups of 10 or 12 or, or more. And so this big, big group of people, uh, magi and their servants and their security, traveling from a distant land from the east and traveling west, and they have a belief that they are going to meet with a worthy king. The king of the Jews has been born, and they've heard of his promises and, and that he wants to bring light to the nations, including people like them. And so they have come to give worship and treasure voluntarily to this king they've never met. And this is an amazing true story. And it's really a story of two kings that we're going to hear today. It contrasts the king of kings, Jesus, the son of God, who's come down and humbled himself and become a baby, right? The one in our story today is a baby Messiah, a baby king, if you want to say that. And there's going to be another king in our story today. Matthew's going to use the king word a couple of times for another character whose subjects did not willingly bow down to him, but had to, and he forced, he forced his favor, if there is such a thing, right? You, you had to like Herod the Great because you feared for your life, right? He ruled in a very different way than the baby Messiah. So let's pray as we hear this scripture today, this good news. Lord, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer, our author and perfecter, and you are 
the King of Kings, the eternal Son of God who became a baby for our sakes. Oh God, may we have deep reverence for you and your, your story, your mission. May we fully found our lives upon you. May we have ears to hear today. May your people pray for one another. And that they, that we could hear your good news of great joy. May they pray for me and other preachers, Lord, that we would rightly declare your truth and that your word would be heard, Lord, throughout this region and throughout this land. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up the story probably months after what we heard last week, maybe a year even or more, uh, but at least months after the baby Jesus was born and the shepherds came as the first uh, non-family witnesses. And then we hear from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, uh, excuse me, uh, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. This is the gospel, the good news. And the main point that I see here today is God is inviting outsiders, people outside the people of Israel at this point. He's inviting outsiders into his family, into his family and into his plan, we can say. And, and this leads these outsiders, the, these magi, these people that were seen probably as unclean and strange, maybe even as sorcerers, it leads these outsiders, these outcasts, to sincere, authentic faith, worship, and giving. That's what we see here from them. So let's, let's look at the context of some of this story. It says now after, right there at the beginning, right? After. So the, the, the birth of Jesus had happened, and, and this star had, had risen in the sky, that they were looking at the sky and 
seeing messages in the sky, that they're probably connecting to scriptures that had been left in their land or that Jews who lived in the diaspora, it's called that Jews didn't just live in Israel, they lived in other places. So these wise men of maybe Babylon, maybe Persia, maybe some far-flung country or nation to the east, they they had heard of the promises, the prophecies of a king of kings who's to come and have a kingdom that never ends and brings light to the nations like it talks about in the prophet Isaiah and, and elsewhere in the Old Testament. And, but they also, they, they had a habit of looking to the skies, looking to God's created nature to see messages. And the, the Old Testament actually told, tells us, told the Jewish people first, not to do things like that, not to read messages in nature, even though nature is great and can teach us a lot of things, but not to like calculate your life upon the stars, right? You're not supposed to do that. But they, they, God had used where they were at, started with where they were at and the, the, the message that they had got, and he got them connected to this story that he was doing. And so they started packing after uh, Jesus was born. So they, we know that it would have taken months from whatever they're coming to get organized and to get where they, they got, which is Jerusalem and then Bethlehem, right? So after Jesus had been born. Now, uh, it says, in the days of Herod, quote, the king, and you may have seen some of my air quotation marks. He was not a actual king. He was, he was a servant, really, of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire uh, allowed him to hold his t- title, and his family kind of had carved out this, uh, this, this reign that, that they were the local government that Rome, the, the really the, the big guys in charge, they used the Herod family uh, to, to keep the people in line. And so Herod ruled Judea as, as kind of this king, an underling of the, the Roman Empire. He was not a real king, but he liked to think of himself as a king. I like to think of him as a mobster, as the head of a crime family. Because if you read the stories about him, uh, not only in the Bible, but in a uh, Jewish histor- historian like Josephus, you find out things like, uh, he, you know, he killed uh, some of his kids. He killed a wife. He killed anybody that threatened his power. He was a mobster, basically, right? Uh, Augustus Caesar actually said in Rome, in the Senate, that it is better to be a pig in the household of, of, of Herod than a son, because in the language, a pig is hus and son is weus, or he is, both H words in our language, so they're really close, and he was doing a play on words, better to be a, uh, a hus than a, than a weos, basically, better to be a pig than a son, okay? So that's what people said about her. <laughs> if a Caesar who uses all kinds of power and manipulation is saying, man, I, I wouldn't want to be in, in Herod's household, you know that he's a bad dude, right? And he, he's not not a king. He's not not really even a full Jewish person. He doesn't keep kosher. He didn't know the Bible, which we can see from this text. And he is threatened by the arrival of these wise men from the east. These wise men are coming from the east. Uh, There's lots of guessing and there's things in Christian tradition about who they are and where they came from, but it's a large group of people, uh, probably at least 12, so think bigger, think bigger. But, you know, it gets awkward to have a nativity scene that big with that many guys, right? I mean, it's hard enough to keep the kids from breaking the pieces we've got. 
So, you know, but it would have been an entourage is the word I like to use. That's what we talked about in Bible study. And they would have had their own security people and they would have had like a cookie in the crew, right? A cook, you know, who would have cooked uh, like the Old West guys had. They would have had somebody who made food. I mean, they would have had people carrying the stuff and it, it wouldn't have been one little bag of gold and one little bag of incense and one little bag of myrrh. I mean, they, they were bringing a ton of stuff for themselves and a ton of treasure to give to this king, right? And so they come looking for this king who had been born, right? And I'm, I'm going to avoid talking about most of the star stuff today. The star stuff is really interesting. It's not because I don't find it important or real. I do, and it, it's something that's part of God's beautiful plan and a way he used nature uh, as part of his story. But I want to focus mainly on the Magi being outsiders and the insiders who are Herod and the religious leaders. But l- l- let's focus on these outsiders uh, the Magi. So that what, what we can learn from them is they were trusting. They were trusting, okay? They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So think about that. Did they have a TikTok video that they'd seen? Did they have a, a phone call that they, somebody, you know, one of the shepherds came and said, it has happened, right? What, what did they have to be this certain? Yes, they'd seen the star, and yes, they'd heard the scriptures, but they must have had the Spirit of God working in their hearts to lead them to trust and have faith in God. We really learn about faith through these outsiders, these so-called outcasts, because they say with certainty this question, where is he? It's happened. So where is he? Where is the king of the Jews? He's been born, right? That is just amazing to me, their, their faith. And they really are putting to shame the insiders the religious leaders who we'll see about more in a minute here. And so they have faith and then they seek. They have faith and so they're seeking, right? And it says, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I had trusting first and I wanna connect these two. So trusting, they had faith and then they sought out the Lord. Now, I've, I've been taught as a Christian and a Christian leader that you know, seeking comes before believing. And they're, you know, uh, oh, let's pray for our friends and family to seek and, and then hopefully they'll believe, okay? And there's even movements called seeker-friendly churches and things like that. And seeking is good. But I wanna say this. If you have a friend or a family member who is, all, who is seeking, asking you questions about God or engaging you in discussions about Jesus this season or, or wants to know about the Bible, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's an adult, who knows? Assume that there's already some trust there. That first thing that we learned about the wise men. Assume that there's already some mustard seed of faith starting to sprout. I really think the trusting starts before the seeking. Else, why, well, why do you start seeking? Especially if somebody shows up here to worship on a Sunday morning and they haven't been here before or they maybe come to a, a Christmas service coming up. That means that there's something going on. Some tug of the heart. Right? Some move, some, some desire to see some hope in this world that they don't currently have. So trusting, I think, oftentimes comes before seeking. Because you trust, you're willing to take a risk. And it is a risk for somebody who hasn't worshipped in a Christian environment to come to church for the first time. Some of you remember that, right? Some of you have become followers of Jesus as an adult. And, and to step into a church, even if you come with friends or something, it's like, what am, ooh, what are they going to do? And what happens? And, uh, so... You come and you get over all that awkwardness because you know there's a God. Some part of you knows and wants it and wants to be with God's people and wants to worship, right? So uh, we can learn that from them. 
right? That often, e- even if it's a beginning faith, there's a faith when people start to seek, okay? Now, now let's shift in the story from the Magi to, to the supposed insiders and, and learn from them. They are fearing, fearing and ignoring. He, that was, that, it's referring to Herod, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, it said, right? When he heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was he troubled? Because he perceives that there's a threat out there that the Jewish people will start to believe in, that there's, there's a Messiah candidate out there and he doesn't know where the Messiah is. And if, what if the people start rallying around this character? And so obviously we know why Herod is troubled. Why is Jerusalem troubled with him? Well, for different reasons, right? As they see this giant entourage coming of outsiders and they're, they're asking, where is the king of the Jews? Well, if you're a normal citizen of Jerusalem, you start going, oh no, how is Herod going to react to this? But let's say you're not just a normal citizen of Jerusalem. Let's say you're a friend with some shepherds who were out in their fields a few months before then and saw something amazing that they'd talked to you about. And you also had heard about the old lady at the temple court area named Anna and that old guy, Simeon, that hung out at the temple and prayed, and you were a faithful Jew in Jerusalem, and, and you heard that they actually like were lifting up a special baby and saying, this is the one, and that was just about eight days after the shepherd thing happened, and the shepherds, they're honest guys, and you, they swear they saw angels fill the sky, and they went, and they saw a baby, and they've been talking about it very carefully. And now it's months later, and there's these outsiders saying, where's the king of the Jews? And if you're, if you're a faithful Jew who's been praying for the Messiah and hearing those stories, but being careful not to ter- tell Herod's folk, right? Because you're not dumb. You know what would happen if Herod hears. You're worried, oh no. Is that baby and his family going to be safe? Because these guys are not going to go unnoticed. And it's not the wise men's fault, right? But you can see why a lot of people were troubled. And so Herod, Herod gets the, the religious leaders, folks like me, I guess, together, and, and, and he says, Where this, where's this going to happen? Where's the Messiah going to be born? And they, they're pretty confident, right? They told him it's going to happen in Bethlehem, in Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, right? For so it is written by the prophet. So they know the scriptures appear in their head, right? They know that, that it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. We're actually going to talk about that more coming up next week, but it's not enough to know if they don't believe it. They don't have the faith that the magi do, the wise men do, these unclean outsiders who aren't kosher, who, who aren't clean, who, who may be accused of sorcery for reading messages in the stars, and, and, and here are the insiders, the religious scholars and leaders, the church folk of the day, the super church folk of the day, I guess you could say, and they know, but they don't care, and they don't go. Interesting, right? So we can learn about fearing and ignoring in the story. We, 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 we don't want to fear and ignore, right? Uh, obviously, we want, we want to follow the Magi example here. But we also see lying in the story. Lying, that's the, the next slide, lying. Herod secretly kept, has them come in. This is a good mob boss trick, like, right? You know, he's got to make sure everybody doesn't know what's going on. So he, he gets the Magi to come in, somehow, you know, arranges for a secret meeting with them keeping that information from others, 
right? And then he tells them in this secret meeting to go and search diligently for the child. At that point, Herod is not lying, right? He wants them to do a diligent search for the child. That's not a lie. And then he says, and when you have found him, bring me word. Still not a lie, right? And then he says, that I too may come and worship him. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? Okay, I hadn't invented pants yet, but we'll move on from that. Um, so he, he says, that I too may come and worship him. That the lies that are e- easily believed and, and what good liars do, if you can say good liar, um, is they mix a bit of the truth, but they warm, you up, or they warm you up with truth and then they pop in the lie, right? If Herod, Herod had lied so much in his life, he knew how to lie. He, did, he didn't start off with, hey, 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 I really want to worship again. I, really, I mean, they would have been, has, you know, oh, you know, hey, you guys should really go search. You really, you really travel far away. And, and then when you find him, you can let me know, right? You can bring me word. Because I too, you know, I really believe in this promise. He's lying. He doesn't believe in the Messiah promise. He doesn't want to worship the child. He's a liar, right? And some people use faith. Some rulers, some individuals use faith to lie. They use it as a a cover. They use it uh, to keep so-called peace in their family. But it's just a lie, right? Herod was using religion with the Jewish people uh, as, as a tool, in that day, he was lying a lot. He'd been, he'd been rebuilding the temple area for years and years, and the project would continue for years and years. Uh, and he was just making it this massive monstrosity that I don't think Jesus was very, uh, he liked the temple, but I don't think he liked what Herod had done to it. Uh, we can see that in Jesus' ministry. But he, he did this by taxing the people even more that the Romans were, were doing to them and forcing them to be involved in this labor project and many others, right? He, he was a liar, and he used religion to just keep his power and to keep the people happy. Thankfully, all of our politicians have advanced beyond that. And so you don't need to worry about that in 2024, right? But back then, they did stuff like that. So point being, be wise. Think. Not, you know, these statements, we can see right through these Herod statements, but there's so many Christians, if I can be honest, that cannot see through the statements of people who are trying to just use faith to get your vote. So think about that. Let's move off that, because that's not fun, right? Let's talk about the Magi again. It, this is the exciting stuff. They, they, they worship and they give. It says they fell down and worshiped him. This is one of the common positions of worship. We do, some of the, we do one common position of worship. Those who are able to stand in our church often stand. Sitting down is an uncommon form of worship, although some have to do that because of physical reasons. But another common type of position worshiping in the Bible is face down, right? That's a common position for prayer as well. Uh, Another common position for worship is hands up, like you're, you're, you're praising the king or giving honor, or you fall down before the king. And in this case, they fall down, they kneel before the king. So picture the scene. Smell the scene. Picture, or, or how do you... What would it sound like? Okay. They got a fairly small apartment or rooms, a couple of rooms maybe in Bethlehem now. They settled down with some of Joseph's family or something. We don't know the details. And in come the Magi, right? 
You, you first start to hear the camel hoofs or whatever. You first start to hear some noise, people coming down the street, and then, and then uh, knock, 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 uh, and then just this huge entourage wants to visit you, and they, they start seeing your baby, if you're married, and they start just falling down. What does that sound like? What, are their, what, does that, what does that feel like to be in that room or in that neighborhood if you lived nearby? And they start taking things that are strapped onto the camels and maybe chests or big old bags of stuff. And I don't know why we think there was just three little things or three kings or three wise men. Uh, you know, just because there's three gifts. There's three types of gifts, I want to be clear. Three categories, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm not going to get into the symbolism today. That is a worthy study, but too much time for today. But three, three categories. It wasn't like one guy was good at gold and one guy was good at frankincense and one guy was good at myrrh. They, they, they all brought all this stuff, right? I don't know how much gold, how much frankincense, how much myrrh, but... They brought a lot of treasure, right? I just really doubt that 12 dudes, if that's, you know, that's a common group for magi in the, in the ancient times, would have just brought a little bit of gold and a little bit of incense and a little bit of myrrh. Like, here's some symbolic gifts for your baby. That's not what they were doing. Do you understand that? We focus on the symbolism, and they are symbolic gifts. What they are doing is, you are a king worthy of my treasure. This isn't my stuff anymore. We have found the one who can speak through stars and who speaks through the prophets who came to our land hundreds of miles away and left messages for us to hear, us dirty outsiders. We don't care about our, our most precious treasures anymore. You have them, baby king. You have them. They, why, why did they give, right? They gave because this is a worthy king. How did they give? Did anybody, Mary said, if you're going to come visit my baby, you've got to pay the price. no. They didn't give out of force. They give willingly. They just give of their treasure, right? And who are they giving to? Were they giving to Mary? No, they're giving to a baby. It's crazy. He does not ha- know how to do banking yet. Doesn't have a debit card. Won't have one for years, right? I mean, they, they, he, they, they're giving to Jesus. Why? Because he's the king, and they want his kingdom to unfold in the world. They really, really believe. People who really believe and really think the king is worthy don't have to be told to give. That's why we generally don't tell people to give here. If you don't want to cheerfully give, don't give. But if you love Jesus, he'll make you into a giver. And people who love Jesus want to support his kingdom movement in this land. He gave us treasure. We give it away. Because what are you going to do? Take it with you, right? We give to our local church. We give to Jesus' causes around the world because may his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The Magi knew it and they didn't even have the Lord's Prayer yet. Jesus couldn't talk yet. But they just knew it. If you have to be told to give, read this story each day this week. Maybe God will do something in your heart because you shouldn't be a Christ follower and have to be told to give. I'll move on. We should give because we want to. We should give the same reason. We want, we want him and his family to, be, to have the funds necessary that, that the good news of him may spread. Okay, and then after they worship and they give, they depart. They depart. Warned in a dream, they don't return to Herod, right? That is so cool. <laughs> God was really looking out for them because Herod had set the trap, right? Why did he have them come in secretly? 
So when they got near Jerusalem on the way back, he'd have the guards meet them or whatever. They'd get the information. They'd take him behind a building somewhere and they'd kill him. That's what would have happened. Right? And Herod would have got, got away with it. But that didn't happen because God can work through dreams, right? And he faithfully takes care of them and he does not let evil win in this part of it. Sadly, though, in the unfolding Christmas stories, evil hated that God... God got the upper hand here, and what did evil do? Evil struck back, right? And Herod was angry, and he ordered the execution of the babies of Bethlehem, the baby boys of Bethlehem. Evil strikes back. And it's, a part, it's part of the difficult and honest Christmas stories that we have, right? But this is why the Son of God came in the first place. This is why the Son of God was a baby in Bethlehem and then was soon to be a baby on the run going to Egypt Right? This is why he was born into the world, because there is evil in this world like that, because there are Herod types, right? He came to rid the world of the power of sin and evil and death. The, 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 the sin that so easily spreads in Herod and his ilk and the, the Herodness in our hearts sometimes when we try to do things by force or violence or anger. Right? He came to undo and defeat and kill power like that by being killed by the, the powers like that, right? He came to put it to death with his death. That's why he was a baby, right? That's why he was in the world. But it says they departed to their own country by another way. Now, I know that good biblical studying says that that literally is talking about they literally took another road back and they avoided Jerusalem and there were other road options and that's what it literally means. But if you'd please allow me some preacher's leeway here, I want to share, as we conclude our time together, another way to look at this. They went home another way. They went home differently, right? They went home, but not the same. They went home, but they went home another way. They went home different people. They came there wise men, believing a little bit and searching. They, they, they departed having seen that the promises are true and we've seen the baby Messiah and they became messengers and they became essentially evangelists, people who were just like the shepherds gonna share the good news of great joy. And, and, and they had encountered the way of God in this deep experience, right? And they are these outcasts, right? Or outcasts to the Jewish people. But they are leaving not as outcasts to God, they are worshipers of the one true king. They were accepted into the literal house of the king. And they are now changed. They, they have become people who, who were called by God to fund the family's future. These gifts that they leave, they're bags and bags, they're boxes of gold, bags of incense, and all these are very valuable. They don't know that the family will soon need that money to go, go to Egypt to, to save their lives and, and to take care of setting up another household there and then eventually have to travel back to Israel. But God used these wise men and their, their voluntary giving to bless the family's future, right? They, they, had, they were changed. They just thought differently now. They're going home as missionaries of God's good news. And our Advent connection for us is that we are always really preparing to depart. 
The, I don't think the wise men knew. They were preparing to go and to worship and to find the king. But they were really also preparing to depart for the other way, for a new home. And that's what the Advent season is about. We are preparing for our departure. And it's this tension that we have as Christians, knowing that Christ is going to return. And we live in hope and eager expectation of that. We are preparing to depart. And yet the way we prepare to depart is by living fully with Jesus, for Jesus, here on earth now, right? Telling the people of the, the better way and that there is this king who's gonna grow up and become amazing. And now we knew he did grow up, right? And he did die for our sins and he did conquer death and he rose from the grave. And now we know that he's going to return. And so we wait with eager expectation his return. Now, time, we heard a scripture about time in, in one of the readings today. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And, and God's got his own timing for all of his seasons and for his return. And timing's an interesting thing. And I've learned a lot from my dad who's has had two severe brain injuries, right? And so he has a strange relationship with time. He wants to be early everywhere. He wants to get to our kids' events. And, and I really appreciate that. But he, because of his brain, brain injury, he has this really frustrating thing for us. He gets there, and then immediately he wants to leave. Right? He wants to be at that event, but, because he, but then he wants to go to whatever's next. And of course, as a son, I get impatient and frustrated with that. And yet I've been thinking about it. I think there's something really right about that. Wanting to eagerly be to the next phase, to that next place. To eagerly wanting, for the Jewish people, they eagerly wanted to go to the promised land at many points in their history. And now for us Christians, we eagerly want to be in eternity. And I, I've talked to so many uh, older Christians when they get to the end of their life, why doesn't God just take me? I've, heard that, I've had that conversation with so many. They've been right here in the, this room at one time in their life. They eagerly just want to go, but they're just waiting for God's plan with eager expectation, but not knowing when is that day going to be, or is it going to be this month or this year? This Advent season helps us to, to not be impatient, but to have the eagerness, to live fully present here like the wise men. You've got to be fully present on your, on your journey back home, but you're also in this full eager expectation of that kid's going to grow up and do something amazing. Well, that kid did grow up and he's done something amazing and he is going to do something amazing again and we cannot lose that as the church. So we need to live fully present here as the people of Jesus, as the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, telling people he is amazing and he is going to come again and we are living with eager expectation in this life. Not with impatience, but living knowing we will depart and being real about that. We will depart either when the Lord returns or we die our, our biological deaths, right? And so we need to do exactly what the wise men do. And before we depart, how much can we leave behind, right? Before we depart, before we leave for another way, what can we leave behind? What is the legacy of, of love, of Christ, of truth that we can share, of hope and peace and joy that we can share? What can we leave behind? What are the treasures we can leave behind to bless people? to fund the, the movement of Jesus for the next generation or to, to share good news with somebody who will grow up and be somebody else who shares good news with somebody. What can we leave behind so that others may leave 
part of their life and go another way, his way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your story. I pray that you would give us a healthy sense for each of us, no matter the ages here, for you, for adults, give us a healthy sense of the coming departure of life as we know it for all of us. Life is never the same day after day. It always changes, but help us to live in eager expectation of your return. Help us to live here our life on earth knowing that it's not permanent. Help us to to be encouraged by the, the truth that you alone have been permanent throughout eternity. You are unchanging. And when you return those of us who are in you, you will change us to be with you. So Lord, help us to live with this reality in our hearts. Help us to have the expectation of, of you doing your great plan. Help us to hear Peter's word from the scripture we heard today, that he, you, Jesus, are not slow work your plan. You are working it just as you want to. And it has a lot to do with us choosing to to do the jobs you've given us to do, Lord. So may we use our treasure, not really our treasure. May we use our days that aren't really our days. May we give our days, our lives, our treasures to your cause, to your mission, that others may see your light and that may cause them to come to you and bow their knee before you and worship you. For you are the true king. There's no other king like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.